You are listening to The Crisis Beat with Dr. Mark Crowther and Brady Wood. Welcome to The Crisis Beat, Episode 6, and it's February 12th, 2023. My name is Brady Wood, and I'm a business owner and public relations professional. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark Crowther, who in his other life is Chair of Medicine at McMaster University. Welcome back to the program, Mark. How are you this week? I'm great, Brady. Beautiful day out there in southern Ontario in Canada. It's supposed to go up to 10 degrees Celsius and it's going to be sunny today. So probably for the most pleasant day we've had since late September, I think. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's for Canada at this time of year. No snow. It's green grass looking good. We'll see if that lasts, but we're off to a good start. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've had a big, we've had a breaking news week, Brady. We, we thought what we're going to do in this episode is just cover some breaking news stuff and then have a bit of an in-depth first principles discussion rather than focusing on a specific issue. But we did identify two news articles that we thought would be relevant, both of which actually I think were handled pretty well, in my opinion, in terms of minimizing the impact and getting people focused on the problem at hand. So the first is people internationally will have seen that on Friday, so 48 hours before we recorded this, John Tory, <coughs> the erstwhile mayor of Toronto, Canada's largest city, who was only re-elected in November at the age of 68, held a emergent press conference on a Friday evening and announced he was resigning as a result of having had an extramarital affair with a staffer that had ended consensually earlier this year. The, uh, the announcement and resignation, which is a whole separate issue we can talk about, but was prompted by an investigation by the Toronto Star, which is one of the local newspapers, into the issues. And we thought probably this was one we should just have a quick conversation about. So, Brady, what's your summary of this whole thing? Yeah, Mark, I mean, it's, it, it, this was an interesting one for me. So I, I've, I've met John Tory several times, and I've sort of followed his career as he went from a mayoral candidate against David Miller back in the day. He went on to lead the provincial progressive conservatives and then he moved into mayoral politics. And I, I I think overall, what I could say is he was definitely a committed career politician. So you saw that in what he did and how he acted. He was a kind of a good champion of Toronto, always at events. I ran into him on a, at a weekend and he said uh, on a Saturday, oh, yeah, this is event four of seven that I'm doing today. So I think his life was really in this job. And I think it makes it, to me, almost a bit a bit doubly disappointing that he would sacrifice something that is just so clearly part of his, his personal life and, and his manifesting what he'd like to do with himself. So yeah, I mean, to, to watch that sort of unfold was a little bit, was, was painful to watch. And then I think to watch the dignified way, as, as dignified as one can be in, in, in handling something like this, I think he did that extremely well. So I think his communication was clear. And he's kind of a stiff guy. He's kind of a bit of a nerdy guy in a way, like a very upright, clean cut sort of person. So that kind of continued into these communications. So I, I think that he had about the right tone in terms of emotion to say, I've done this, it was wrong, I'm going to resign so as not to be a distraction. I'm going to focus my energy on the healing that I need to enact with my family. So, you know, compare that to, say, a Tiger Woods or something where the apology seems ungenuine and you're not actually really sure what the course of action is. Or we had a Canadian politician, I wish I could remember his name immediately offhand, where he had several uh, he had several missteps on Zoom where he was recorded like changing or going to the washroom where he kind of had exposed himself twice to other other colleagues on Zoom. And uh, his apology was sort of more like, these were accidents, but I'm also going to get help. 
And that was very confusing because it's sort of like, well, was it an accident or are you going to get because you have a pathology? But in John Tory's case, it was very much like this was really bad judgment on my part and I have to go fix my life and I can't be mayor. And he didn't say it that matter of factly, but that, that he said it that straightforwardly, I think. And I, and I think that worked. Yeah, I would agree. It was, you know, I think he, as you said, it, my impression of him, I don't know him, was that he was very dedicated to the success of Toronto. As everybody who's in those positions, there's vociferous supporters and vociferous critics. But, but you know, he, he, his, the, the, the communication practice that he followed in resigning certainly instantaneously eliminated the possibility that any of the backlash would fall on the city. You know, the, he made it very clear this was on him. Uh, and and that he was taking full responsibility for it, and he would not allow it to distract from the appearance the city has, which you know I think is very clear and good communication style. It's quite markedly, as you said, with not just several other cases, but almost any every other case where people are kind of flailing around because they, in a similar circumstance where they see their entire life evaporating in front of them, they tend to flail. Whereas you know, he, he decided not to flail, which is good on him. And also, if you want to, I think, watch, as you said, a dry but very well done press conference to completely deflate an issue, that was it. And I bet that that whole thing, other than the media circus surrounding picking his successor, which sounds like it's going to be an entertaining undertaking, that will be the end of it. There, there's just nothing left really to pick off the bones of this carcass, I don't think. There's a lot of about who was the person involved. He made it clear that that information is not going to come from him. And so it then transfers the responsibility for disclosure either onto somebody else who leaks it, which probably won't happen, or onto the person of interest themselves, who I would suspect would also not be interested in disclosing it. So I thought it was really well done. Mark, I think too on this one, there there is a good learning that about aligning your objectives with your communications approach. So you can see in this one, he kicked the chair back and said he had options. There, there's probably an option of saying I could use apologetics to try to maintain my job, or I could I could try these other angles as other politicians do. And it seems like on this one, he really kicked the chair back and said, like you said. My objective is to take full responsibility, come what may, and to try to protect, I think, the city's reputation for sure by by maintaining this sort of maintaining a a very stiff kind of upper lip and showing good governance. So I think picking those and aligning them and, and doing it authentically is what works. And I think that if you're not authentic or you're actually muddled about your objective, I think that's where these things can fall apart. So that might be a good one to just flag as. This is one of those practices where really being able to be, I think, forthcoming with yourself and honest with yourself about what's going on there. Because this this did feel like a true apology and it felt like a good a good move on his part. But so often people are self-interested and don't make the right move and it gets messy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it contrasts with the discussion we've had intermittently about this kind of new style where you don't do that and you kind of combatively engage with it. But that's not because you're denying the events that occurred. It's because you don't want to be forced out of the limelight as a result of the event, or you want to build on the limelight. And very clearly from this event, he does not want the limelight. He, he is, you know, that, that was my summary of this. This guy has decided that this was a career ending event He's going to take ownership of it. He doesn't want it to flash back on the city. And he is going to not fade quietly off into the sunset, but instantaneously fade into the sunset. 
Yeah, he's more like a stoic, honorable actor than what I think we've been describing them as like the successful bad actor, like folks like Trump, who will say something off color on camera and actually they bolster themselves through it and deflect, deny, make fun of other folks and then somehow end up in some cases still being in the limelight at the least. I don't know if it's success, but it seems like that it doesn't ding them the way that it used to. Yeah, yeah, this this John Tory example is sort of like a return to old best practices. Yeah. And then another one just to build on the airline story. So I read this one on the weekend. Flair Airlines, which is a startup airline, which has a small number of aircraft in Canada. It's a deep discount airline. It flies, uses kind of a modified Southwest model where it flies out of second tier airports in Canada in the winter, mostly to sunshine destinations. Most people have probably never heard of it. It's most famous because its airplanes are funny color of green with a giant black dot on the side. And they had one flying from Cancun to somewhere, I'm not sure where, and it had a depressurization, which for those who aren't airline freaks means that for one reason or another, the pilots were unable to maintain pressurization in the cabin. That's That's a real emergency because after just a few seconds if you don't deal with it everybody in the airplane will lapse into unconsciousness and the plane will crash the pilots dealt with it extraordinarily efficiently the consequence that the passengers had were two the first is that the oxygen masks fall out which is always a remarkable event i've never had it happen in all the thousands of flights i've been on Uh, and you have to apply them otherwise they will become unconscious very quickly and then the second thing is the plane makes a very steep descent which always makes people think you're crashing in when you hear stories about it because the pilot's goal is to get down to an altitude where they don't need the oxygen mass as quickly as possible and there isn't really anything that stands in their way so it'll be a descent which in most cases passengers have never experienced before so they'll assume that they're crashing whereas the pilots are actually intentionally going down to very low altitude somewhere between five and ten thousand feet if i remember correctly and so the pilots the the passengers were of course terrified appropriately so lots of social media posts about feeling they were going to die and this that and the other but then brady i asked you about it and you hadn't heard anything about it so i think uh, we might want to talk about that for a second because with all the news on airlines you'd think that'd be a front page story yeah but it does sound like so mark you mentioned some and we'll get into the techniques they use to take accountability and handle the passengers and i think that might have just kind of deflated it as opposed to if they'd had a combative ceo or communications person or it was unclear but it's interesting sometimes these things are just literal somewhat expectable manufacturing failures and they and we we move on actually a parallel case here that i i'm shocked we move on some from so frequently is that like a lot of Tesla cars seem to be combusting spontaneously and they're not making, it's not making the same amount of headline as you might expect either. So Brady, that's interesting. You bring that up, you know, the data, which is pretty solid because obviously it's tracked is that Teslas are much less likely to catch fire than other cars. They aren't combustible. What's going to be burned more is carrying a big battery around or carrying around a hundred gallons of explosive. <laughs> right. And, and, and so the fact that you've heard about that is just the fact that, you know, the, 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 pickup truck people, of which I'm one, are promoting the fact that they don't want to see their pickup trucks fade into the dust and and be replaced by battery cars, which will inevitably happen, as we all know. And so they promote this. But in fact, battery operated cars are way safer. Well, and this might cases. also be the double edged sword of Tesla having a fairly good public brand, or at least it, it used to, and also Elon Musk courting a lot of attention. So you get this kind of asymmetric reporting on it, I guess, because uh, you know they're they're in the they're in the they're in the spotlight, and they've got a few targets on them, as you suggested too. Yeah, it's like when an autonomous car gets involved in an accident, it makes front page news, and yet if you look at the 
rate of accident per any distance driven to correct for the number of cars. It, it's way lower with autonomous cars. It's like, you know, many fold lower if you are driving an autonomous car than if you're driving a regular car. And you know that because like how many times have you personally been in an accident and I've been in an accident and, you know, it, it's, it, it just happens. You've got humans who are distractible driving cars in adverse conditions. They aren't paying attention, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the autonomous cars, just get back to the airline one for a second there though. So, you know, I think reading through the story, Flair Airlines, new airline, clearly very brand driven. That's why they've got funny looking airplanes, but they did a great job in this case. So what they did is sounds like the plane diverted to Fort Lauderdale, you know, if another airline had done that, it might have made front page news because the passenger left sitting on the runway for four hours. A, a Obviously, a communications professional was on this instantaneously. Some guy named Mike Arnott credited the, the pilot, their response to get the airplane down straightforwardly. They arrived at the airport. They had accommodations available. They rebooked everybody within 48 hours, and they provided, it sounds like for one of the reports, two free tickets on Flair Airlines. And so, you know, I think this is this is another great example where just using some best practices makes a problem, which could make front page news and permanently damage the image or reputation, just disappears. And there's nothing they can do about a depressurization, although people might suspect it. Maybe they weren't doing their maintenance correctly. But but in fact, you know, I think like the John Tory thing, well done communication strategy just makes this a non-issue and people move on to the next crisis of the minute. Absolutely. And sounds like very, very strong customer service follow up. And obviously no one recorded a staffer being rude about this or anything. It all went extremely smoothly by the sounds of it. Yeah, great one. So I thought we'll 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 take a break in a second, Bree, but let's just do a couple of what I was going to do is just lob a couple of easy cases at you and and just use your communications professional brain to tell us what kind of best practices are. And the reason for that is is as we've talked about before, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with the podcast next. And as we see more and more examples, people who are running businesses getting into trouble, and we cringe, I think, a lot about how they could have prevented themselves from damaging their reputation by some simple, simple communication strategies. And we're just trying to figure out how we can help people to do that in a way that you know makes them not have to sacrifice years of work because they say or do something dumb in the heat of the moment. So yeah, I think we're, yeah, I think we're edging toward, Mark, thinking about some resources that we could offer folks that are available easily and then maybe some broader some broader things as well. But I think, you know, I've looked at in the past created some checklists, for example, but I think there could be checklists for businesses that make sure they're aware of some of the things they can do preemptively, which I, you know, spoiler alert, I think that has a lot to do with how well you do. I totally agree. So the first case I'm going to give you is one where the person doesn't have a time or a chance to to preemptively anticipate this. So let's just frame this. So you are the owner of a, you're a mechanic, you own a small garage, independent garage. Turns out that last week you changed somebody's snow tires. You have a new technician. He didn't use the correct, he forgot that you have to switch lug nuts when you go from summer to winter tires. The tires weren't, the lug nuts weren't applied with sufficient torque. One of the tires comes off and there's an accident which involves an injury, not serious, but an injury to a very prominent sports person. And <clears throat> the owner of the car successfully deflects questions on from the media, which because this will be a media case given the profile of the sports person, and says, you know, I had no idea what happened. The wheel just came off. I had my snow tires done on Tuesday. It's a, it's a slow news day, so the news outlet shows up at your office in this garage with a with a camera crew you don't know anything about this and basically the question they're asking you is so what happened and how did it 
how you know how is, is this is your garage incompetent what happened why did this wheel come off and look what you've done and your response would be well mark before i go to the response i think this is a great case that shows the need for again some of those preemptive tools so so my take would be every business should be thinking about um, as is the kind of theme of the podcast, think about when you might encounter the crisis and what do you need to have in place. So something like, you know, let's call this like Jeff's Lamborghinis, like Jeff's Lamborghinis, A, needs to be a high quality provider. And what that means is they they need to meet all of the standards related to a mechanic shop so that they can say that. And if they can't, I think that that weakens their case out of the gate. The second is they they really actually need to have a strong communicator who's and and they strength comes from practice. So what I mean is they need to have a trained spokesperson. So the person who's going to let's say this camera crew showed up on Rodeo Drive at Jeff's Lamborghinis and said you, Shaquille O'Neal's been in this accident. I think if you're caught off guard in that moment, I pray you have those things in place. But I think the the correct move would then be as the spokesperson to. A, express empathy. So obviously, if there's any concern of someone being hurt, and then B, speak to your willingness to work through a process or immediately investigate and find out more facts about the case and communicate further when you have the facts. And I think I would stand pretty firm on my straight back foot. Listen, I don't have enough facts to comment, but I can tell you if we're accountable, we'll find that out and we'll make that clear. And then I think if you if it seemed appropriate, I think you could also speak to the standards that you do meet. So I, you know, I subscribe to, I'm not sure what overseas car car shop quality, but we're a member of this and I'm going to make sure we're meeting those standards. But I think it's really more a empathy and come back here later when I have more information. Mark, yeah, I think that, to that? No, I think that's great. I think the, 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 the bottom line is to not deny it, which I think a lot of people are prone to do when you don't have appropriate information, not start making excuses right off the bat, like making excuses is a common thing that people do and no there's no role for excuses here um i one thing that i think is really valuable that you just highlighted and that oftentimes isn't brought up is transfer the responsibility for follow-up back onto the media organization the reason why that's important is it's very likely they're going to get distracted by something else and if it's very clear from the interaction that you are waiting for them to get back to you then it's very clear who's going to do the follow-up. The last thing you want to do is keep you know, piling fuel on the fire by getting them back at a certain time to have a disclosure. So let's say they, you know, they've got three, three items they have to deal with this morning. They show up at your shop. You say, this is the first I've heard of it. I'm surprised. We, we are very sorry for the event. I became aware of it on the news last night. I was unaware that there may have been a relationship with my shop this morning uh, until you came. I will investigate this and I'd invite you to come back if you wish so that we can talk about further after I've had a chance to investigate. I, I suspect that what will happen is that will not even make it into the news story because the news outlet almost for certain doesn't have the bandwidth to be able to follow it up. Whereas if you said, why don't you come back on Wednesday at 10 when I'll know more, right. um, that, that's yeah. not good. Because that you know they can put that into their schedule, and they'll be back on Wednesday at ten, I suspect, to get more. And what you want to avoid doing is avoid getting into the news cycle through just sticking to first principles here. I think, and mm-hmm. then if they come back later and say, you know, you performed really well, they won't say that. But if you performed really well, it's very unlikely they're going to be picking and choosing your words 
to highlight in a in a feature because you stuck to your guns in terms of best qualities of communication. Mark, I'd, I'd also add to this one on top of what you said, and I think all, all very well said is another thing that occurs to me from what we're talking about is don't be defensive. So I mentioned that thing about mentioning your quality credentials, and I, I don't want to backtrack on that, but I'd also say don't say anything that says we absolutely couldn't have been the cause for this because it would be very unfortunate to then have to eat those words if John the narcoleptic mechanic was on duty that day and you found out that he's got some practice uh, practice issues. So yeah. I think that's that's another good learning from that case. Welcome back, Brady, after the break. So two, two more cases coming up. So again, we're just doing this as a basic kind of intro to best practices. And we're focusing on small business owners because really we've been talking about enormous cases involving enormous things, but that's not where most of this trouble exists. So let's go to another one, something you're, you're going to be familiar with, Brady, from your past. So let's say a small business owner has a couple of retail operations and unfortunately a customer going into the store slips on some ice and falls and sustains an injury, broken hip. And unfortunately, you are not aware of this. You're not at the store. You, know, you have employees at the store. There's some delay in getting appropriate care for that woman. And the news media is now calling you on your phone. They somehow got a hold of your cell phone right out of the blue. You don't know anything about this. And they want to know why you left this woman laying on the sidewalk for 25 minutes. Turns out, you learn later that the reason why there was a significant delay had nothing to do with the employees. They saw this happen. The The mall maintenance people had done everything that they needed to do and documented it in terms of ice mitigation. And there was just no ambulances. It actually, we were in one of those, what we call code zeros, where there's no ambulances available. And it took them 25 minutes to free up an ambulance to come to pick this woman up off the sidewalk. So Brady, you're, you're the owner. You weren't at the store. Your phone rings and it's the news media on the other end. What do you say when you just get this cold call? Oh, when I, if you get a cold call, I would say the easiest thing to do is say, thanks so much for your call. I appreciate it. This is the first I've heard of this. I would then ask, what is your deadline? Because I will have to get, I will have to gather information and get back to you. And if they were to say, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just need a comment right away. I would say my, my comment would only be that I will be investigating the situation and I will have more information later. And then, of course, in that moment, you would also say, I'm sorry to have heard about the distress caused to Miss Watson or something expressing that empathy. But I would immediately get to, I, I don't have enough information to respond to this case. And then I think then you going through that process, you know, we can look at we could look at the different theories we've looked at before Benoit's image restoration theory and Coombs situational crisis communications theory, but it's it's kind of lining up the communication with the level of responsibility is important. So because it was found on the tail end that you weren't responsible and you were probably featured in the in the story in some way as potentially being responsible, or that was the sense that people had, I would probably go to some lengths to make sure that the story was clarified. So one thing I would do is if it in that case it was the ambulance provider, you may want to coordinate with, so I think it's a good idea to not throw potential partners under the bus. That might be less a practice in the private sector where everyone's sort of trying to survive. But I actually think always a good practice to say, hey, it would be nice if we could do some of this image restoration together. But I would I would absolutely make the case to go through that kind of the response strategy of you've got minimal responsibility. So go through instructing and adjusting the information. 
So you want to make sure that it's very clear this is what happened and how the mall was involved and any actions the mall did take. But unfortunately, this was a, a hospital issue and and reiterate the good practices the mall has in place for situations like this. Also, you may also want to get out any kind of public safety announcement that would would connect with that. But I'm not sure what that would be in a mall, but maybe there is something you should do if if you fall if you fall in the mall. Like I don't know, maybe just a reminder that there are emergency telephones in every hallway of the mall or whatever the practice is. So that would be my take. It would be empathy and postpone response, then gather information. And then that would be, you're going to have to instruct and, and modify the information the media has. So make sure that that's airtight and then get that out potentially with partners and add some messaging around safety measures that you have in place or other things that bolster your reputation as an honest, good player in that. And again, always, always thinking about if there was a victim that was harmed, that's obviously your top concern. Probably lead with that. Our top concern is that someone was hurt and we feel, we feel badly for them and et cetera. I think that's a pretty clean one, Mark, but what do you think? Yeah, I think it's very clean. And I think, you know, I think you could, if it becomes clear in your investigations that the staff tell you that, you know, they called and it took 25 minutes for the ambulance to get there. And the 911 operator just said there are no ambulances currently available. And I, I think that's key to the messaging is to say, you you know, it is a, it was, you were very sad to hear this. Your thoughts are with the person and their family, but you need to make sure that the, that you, the responsibility does not appear to be yours. You did not leave this woman laying on the road and or the sidewalk in front of your store your employees did everything that they possibly could. Also good probably to get your employees to document what they did right then so that you can actually refer back to that later if you need to in various different venues, but certainly in terms of media relations. Hard to probably do restore, to do some kind of coordinated response with the ambulance services. They're so overwhelmed at the moment, but... But you know what, Mark, on that one, I I actually, I would double down on that as part of this strategy because here's the interesting thing, and I've been there. Occasionally your employees are not reliable in the information that they've given you. So unless you have ironclad proof, like it would be a heck of a situation to be claiming one thing and then the ambulance providers claiming something else and you're in a bit of a pissing contest or you know, pointing fingers at each other in the media, that's not good for anybody. So I actually think it would be really good to find out, okay, who's the local, you know, in Canada would be the emergency medical services fired, the, the chief of that service get in touch with their office and say, hey, we got to respond to this thing at two o'clock. I'd like to just compare notes with you, make sure that you are on board with the fact that, yeah, there weren't ambulances and we're raising awareness of pressures in the system through this as opposed to some other strategy. But if that guy said, we never got a call, well, then you'd be in real trouble, you know? So I think think there's value in that. Yeah. And it gets back to what we said earlier about, you know, making sure that what you're saying is completely accurate because it is not good to be making excuses that turn out not to be valid later on and undeserved denials lead to a suspicion. So absolutely. And then I guess one strategy that seems to crop up a lot is then people pin it on chronic underfunding. Probably also, again, I think just involving turning this into a a negative story or trying to avoid dumping it on somebody else's probably best practices not not assuming responsibility that you don't deserve to assume but also trying to you know two negatives don't make a positive in this area so i'm um, trying to turn a negative story into a positive story by adding more negatives on top is probably suboptimal in my opinion agreed agreed so and then let's do one last one and then we'll do a quick summary so let's do something a little bit lighter so the you're the the mayor of the city that you live in is 
doing a big announcement and they're opening a new factory and the factory's run by manufacturer X and your company is the cake decorating company and you have misspelled on this enormous cake that the federal and provincial ministers are going to come to cut that's going to be unveiled with great fanfare and they they whip the 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 blanket off top of this cake and your company's name or the company's name is absolutely misspelled completely on top of it and everybody initially finds this quite funny but of course the company is mortified because they've this enormous media relations thing that they had rather than celebrating their success the government people are mortified because you know this this could be very positive buzz and now it's just turned into this total laughing stock and the 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 media outlet gets a hold of your name as the person who runs the cake de- decorating contest or the company there's no question that you misspelled the company's name it's just absolutely massacred right there in front of the world and the media agency you're aware of this you're you've had a call from various angry people and the media company shows up at your door how do you handle that one to maintain your your reputation Mark, there's something that I've seen occasionally, and I, I mean, I would probably, because you're a cake company, on one hand, I would try to find a playful, a playful way of like owning the shame. So I know that sounds, that's probably counterintuitive. I think you'd have to be really strong footed to do this, but I'd almost like start putting up Instagram posts that say we make great cakes and like the cake is misspelled or something, you know, that, that, that you're. We make great cakes. We're not great at spelling, but but in all honesty, I think it would it would be yeah you'd 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 have to take absolute responsibility and promise to make changes and reassure people that they can count on you to spell their cakes properly in the future. If you're a local if you're a local provider with some renown, you know. So, but I, I do think there's probably a way to to dampen it. Like I don't think this one's like a a dis- I think the likelihood that this would be like a major media story would be minor. And if it was, I don't think it would destroy the cake business. So I think that you have some latitude to be a bit more playful and and be honest about it. Maybe you have to do a bit of a publicity stunt of share, showing up at the mayor's office with the camera crew to deliver properly spelled cakes or something, for example. But yeah, I think so. This This actually ties back into the John Tory story. So I think this one here... Like you just own it, right? No, you, you you totally own it. This is your problem. You have to deal with it. You admit that something happened. There was no serious consequences other than some wounded egos from people who probably have sufficiently large egos that you're not truly worried about them being wounded. And and you could probably actually build your brand out of this. We I we did one last week, and Brady, I can't or last episode, and I can't remember what it was where we said that it might be that humor. And and just embracing the humor of this may be the only way out of, oh, it was the, was it the one about Southwest where we were talking about, you know, that when oh, Saturday Night Live, it was the Saturday Night, Night Live one, right. yeah. and, you know, and, and putting the CEO right on Saturday Night Live and sort of saying, look, we really screwed this one up. And we admit that we sorted bags based on color to go to various locations, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I, I think this is actually, this could be an opportunity for you to really have your business take off because. If you play this correctly, you are going to be known as the cake company that misspelled, you know, the car manufacturer's name. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think there's something in there. You make a good point about that Saturday Night Live case. I'm not sure it would have worked, but if Southwest could have participated 
in a friendly way that would in the Saturday Night Live if they knew that it was happening and could have gotten themselves in the skit, for example, like that would be a way of like, you know, kind of shouldering it a bit better. I, I don't know what they could do after, but yeah, I, I agree on this one. It would be, yeah, find some kind of, I hate to say cute, but you got to find a bit of a cute way to take this on the chin, but also make it clear, you know, whether it's just, hey, I went to school for baking, not English. Not spelling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's something in that for sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, Brady, we should sum up. We've been talking for a long time. We, again, we did some simple cases here, but I think ones that are very realistic that reflect kind of the situation people are going to find themselves in maybe in a minute or two, you know, how, how, how would, how, what do you think we should do to move this forward so that we do provide people with resources? Because again, just to reiterate, the reason we're doing this is partly we enjoy watching these companies flailing around when we know they don't need to flail around. And in part, it's because we see people who destroy their businesses completely inexcusably. No, not to say that they shouldn't be taking responsibility when responsibility is due, but your reaction to events is in many ways more important than the events themselves. And and I think that's a message we'd like to help people to understand because people are destroying value because of their their responses to events. Yeah, Mark, I, I think what I could say to listeners and thanks to a couple of you that have written in, we, we appreciate hearing from folks that are listening. I would say follow along on the website, wthecrisisbeats.com. And I think we'll give some thought to how do we get these myriad practices, which are nuanced, into some bit of shorthand. So, you know, in the past, I've, I've developed for the Ontario Hospital Association with a couple of hospital corporations and a co-author. We created something called the Reputation Checklist, and it, w- it went through high level from like a board perspective. What are the practices you should have in place for your institution to be continuously on the lookout for how you protect and enhance the hospital's reputation? I'd like to try to figure out some of these shorthands because there's myriad things that every company should do before they're in a crisis and then the during and then also the after. And, and, and then there's also a bit of a, it's not, it's not algorithmic and I guess that's the trouble, but there is a, there is a specific way of doing things that I think as we're showing in this, in this podcast, they, it works. So we want to empower folks to work and potentially work with us if they needed some extra help as well. But I think the first thing is, Mark, we've got to do a bit more work on how do we actually codify some of these things into shorthand that's digestible? And I, and I think it's probably some kind of downloadable resources where we'll start. That's probably the best I've got at the moment because I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. But I think that's that's probably where we're headed is some some kind of resource. Another option would be a recurring newsletter where we go beyond what we're discussing and we have something going out to subscribers that includes some of these resources and some other further analysis. Yeah, I think probably both of those are things we've talked about. There are certainly things we we should consider. I'm surprised we have people who listen to this, but we do. So thanks to those who are listening. And we are really open to your suggestions, any feedback you have about how we can take this to the next level. We're very interested in doing that. I don't know that there's a competitor product out there. There might be, but I haven't seen it. I certainly haven't run into it where we're, people are trying to provide practical advice. Obviously, you know, we don't want to get right now involved in your individual business because, you know, that's your business and you know it best. But we would like you to help. We would like to be able to help you in a way that doesn't take a lot of your time or a lot of your money. But when that news crew is at your front door on Monday at 8 a.m. and you have no idea what's going on, 
that you don't say or do something stupid, which damages the credibility of your business. Cause that's when the damage starts to occur. And then, you know, you can open a wound then, which just continues to fester and may actually become the story rather than, you know, one part of the story. So our goal is to help you to avoid having that happen. So with that, Brady probably should any last words of wisdom today. And before we go outside and enjoy what looks like a beautiful spring day in the middle of winter. I have no final words of wisdom, but I found today a really good a really good conversation, and I and I do think that the John Tory case is worth is is worth watching. Just even going back, I saw that Steve Pakin, who in Ontario where we live, is a very reputable journalist, and he wrote a letter to John Tory following his his resignation. So very quickly wrote a letter, making some of the observations that I think that come to mind about the dignified way in which he he left. But what I what I and I'll, we'll put it in the the notes of this of this episode. What I draw from it is it shows you how well that went that one of the premier investigative journalists in Canada writes you a letter that says you did pretty well here and it is it is troubling to see your career end this way. But it was almost a bit of an apologetic itself, and so I, f- I found that fascinating, very unexpected. Yeah, thanks, Brady. All right, thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of the Crisis Beat. Mm-hmm.